Good morning, and welcome to episode 893 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by our Patreon supporters and the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh of 538, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hey. Dodgers are in New York tonight to play the Mets, and there is no shortage of intriguing storylines. Chase Utley faces off against the team that might still bear him ill will from his infamous slide last October. Maybe the best, certainly the most precocious pitching prospect in baseball makes his major league debut. And former Mets beat writer Andy McCullough returns to the ballpark where he debuted as a beat writer, not only as the beat writer for the Dodgers for the LA Times, but as the host of a brand new baseball podcast. And we are going to discuss all three of those important stories today and probably more. And we are welcoming in Andy McCullough, one of our favorite guests on this podcast, who has now just started his solo career and doesn't really need this podcast platform anymore because he has his own. It's not Andy. a solo. It's not a solo career, though. No, it's more of a duo still. It's a super group. I'm definitely the less attractive member of the group with, uh, with me and Pete, for sure. <laughs> so you started the Los Angeles Times baseball podcast just recently, just this past week with Pedro Mora. Still searching for a name, yeah. <laughs> I gave you a perfect name. What was it? I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I am too. It was, uh, It was. I think it was, I know Andre Ethier, which is a uh, reference to my favorite Fire Joe Morgan post of all time. Oh, yeah. The old scout. Is that the one with whenever they should be laying down sack bunts, they're trying on designer jeans? <laughs> no, the this one was the, the one with the old scout. With, yeah, the old scout. In the scout. corner who speaks yeah, up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I know Andre Ethier is what I was. I wanted you to name your podcast. Wait a minute. I know Andre Ethier. <laughs> oh, okay. We had some good suggestions, but they're all kind of like copyright infringements. Like someone suggested like the Lonesome Crowded West, which I really like. Maybe we get sued by Isaac Brock. And then, you know, there's been a couple other ones. We were thinking about calling it the Freeway Series or I don't know. Pedro just wants to call it LitCast because it's lit. So <laughs> <laughs> just like, welcome to LitCast, you know, and everyone knows because this podcast is, you know, podcast is woke or whatever the kids are saying these days. Uh, but yeah, you know, we're, I don't know, like we're, we'll see how it goes. Uh, it, it basically, you know, our bosses, you know, Pedro and I have been friends for a while and, uh, you know, we both got hired by the time this winter and our bosses kind of enjoyed how we tend to argue about everything uh, when it comes to baseball. Pedro has christened me like a, uh, a baseball Republican, if that makes sense, um, which I sort of agree with, I guess. Um, and how, you know, he's like, you know, uh, like he's a lefty when it comes to baseball and I'm, you know, more conservative. So um, that's, you know, a good, uh, it's a good contrast, I guess. He, you know, is obsessed with like XFIP and, you know, shit that didn't actually happen. And, you know, I, I think advanced metrics are really important, but I also think it's also important not to lose track of what actually occurred in the game. It, when Pedro listens to this, he's going to be serious with my characterization of his opinion. Um, as he always is. And so, yeah, it's, you know, we're trying to do it once a week and hopefully, you know, people will want to listen. I mean, there's definitely uh, room for more baseball podcasts. There definitely are not enough. <laughs> hey, is uh, is Chinway Sao still on the roster? No. Ah, uh, I was going to suggest the uh, that you could call it uh, Lonesome Souted West. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> yeah, there's some, yeah. Chinway Sao had, a, had an interesting weekend. For sure, the you should have him on. We dubbed him the, the most interesting available. Wikipedia page in baseball last year. Yeah, there's a six-year gap in his uh, baseball reference page. 
Yeah. It's uh, kind of interesting. <laughs> but, you know, match fixing will do that to you. Yeah. Well, the first episode featured some great Kershaw trout banter, and it also featured Pedro getting caught between saying velo and velocity and saying velocity, <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> something I really enjoyed. You'll work those kinks out. Sam and I never misspeak or mispronounce anything anymore. No, it's just no, a, for sure. something you, you get out of your system early. So yeah, <laughs> moving on to the smaller stories, would you care to set up the starting pitcher matchup, particularly the Dodgers side? Yeah, who is starting for the Mets? <laughs> Jake DeGrom? Or... Yeah. Okay, yeah, DeGrom, good pitcher, you know, slightly overrated hair, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> probably the second best pitcher on the Mets staff. Uh, that's not why you're asking me. Uh, so yeah, Julio Urias is coming up. It's going to be fun. We're going to figure out how exactly to pronounce his last name because yes. uh, everyone has a different take on it. Uh, how would you guys say his last name? Is? Scott Boris said Urias when I interviewed him this off season. Okay, good name drop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'd go with that too. Until told otherwise. Urias, yeah. yeah, yeah. I believe it's Urias, but you know sometimes I'll slip and just say Urias. You know it. So, uh, but anyway, Julio Urias is coming up. Isn't Julio? He'll be up. He's a fantastic young prospect. You know, he's 19 years old, throws hard, but has really good velocity, especially from the left side with his fastball. Pretty decent command, has two, um, you know, off-speed pitches that work. He's got a, a you know, solid curveball and a changeup that's really effective. Um, he's got 27 scoreless innings in a row with uh, Oklahoma City in the PCL, just basically just crushing AAA. Um, he has a 110 ERA in AAA this year, and, you know, he's ready to go, and he's He's been ready to go for a few weeks now. Dodgers haven't brought him up yet, but uh, Alex Wood kind of had a, a hiccup with his tricep, and so he gets pushed back until Monday. So that cleared some space, you know, on the you know in the rotation schedule, I guess. And so they're going to uh, start Urias, and it's uh, you know it's not the smallest stage to start him on, that's for sure. Um, but it's uh, it'll be it'll be interesting. You know, it'll be interesting to see what his pitch count is. It'll be interesting to see. You know, what they do with him after Friday night, there's a couple of different ways they could go. But, um, you know, Dodgers fans have been clamoring for him for a while, and he's a guy who can certainly help the team. So you uh, you tweeted a quote from Dave Roberts a couple of days ago where he was asked if he had uh, talked to the front office about bringing him up and whether he was asking for him to be brought up. And Roberts said uh, no and then sort of like, I guess, paused or something and said they already know that I want him. And it's sort of unusual for uh, – maybe uh, you can correct me. This might be wrong. But we get the impression that it's sort of unusual for teams to buy into the hype of – minor leaguers that fans might fall for that there's there's always sort of a well wait until he gets up here don't put too much pressure on him Uh, it's a big jump Uh, and there's always a sort of an anti-rookie bias anyway and so you'll rarely see a team unless it's somebody maybe I don't even know if it's somebody extremely good but you'll rarely see a team hype a guy who's coming up so is there any uh has there been any effort at quelling this excitement well I don't think they've necessarily done anything to hype him up I don't think you know they've like you know you don't see Andrew Friedman coming out and being like hey guys you will not believe how good this kid's gonna be when he comes up you know like they're very measured in their commentary of him but um you know Urias is 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 creating the hype himself with his performance like the Dodgers are you know they're interesting in it they're not going to talk about how great he is but they're also not going to sit there and say like well you know he needs to work on x he needs to work on y he needs to work on z you know not very good at this when he comes up he's only going to be able to do that you know what I mean like they're not going to give you the accurate scouting report of sort of what the issues might be for him when he comes up so 
I think they've kind of been almost like laissez-faire in, you know, just letting this, you know, build into a, you know, a pretty big deal. But again, I mean, the guy's like, he was what, like the number five prospect in, you know, in the game, like coming into this year or something like that. He's certainly top 10. He's probably the highest, you know, left-handed pitching prospect for sure. You know, there's going to be hype with that regardless. So, you know, they haven't gone out of their way to shut it down, but I, you know, I don't think they've been sort of cranking up a, a PR machine about him either. Obviously, the the headline is his age. He's going to be the youngest guy to debut, the first teenager to debut since Madison Bumgarner in 2009. And of course, he was eight years younger than the average age in the PCL. And he was three years younger than the next youngest guy who had made a start at that level. And he was also the best pitcher at that level. So hmm. do you know anything about his social life because you know you read stories about him and it sounds like those stories about super genius 13 year olds who graduate from college and they're sort of like the the mascot of the class or they don't really have a normal childhood or a normal teenage life because they are so brilliant and so successful at a young age so do you know anything about how he fits in on a team and what he does on his downtime if he has any Uh, i mean i don't really know what his interior life looks like i mean i haven't had a, a ton of chances to interact with him but everything I've heard you know is that he, he fits in perfectly fine you know and the, the, the sport's kind of a um, you know a meritocracy and so that they're you know he's earned kind of the the praise and stuff that he's gotten with the way he's performed over the years so I don't think there'll be too much of an issue in terms of socialization or whatever the, the proper word is you know into the clubhouse dynamic I'm, you know there's a, a bunch of veteran guys on the team who hopefully you know I mean, I'm sure they'll welcome him or, or whatever, but, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's very, it is very rare to have a, you know, a, a 19-year-old kid running around with professional baseball players. So, that I, I, you know, I don't really know how that's going to go just yet, but, you know, it's certainly a, an interesting dynamic. A lot of attention has been paid to his workload because the Dodgers have been incredibly careful with him, and Scott Boris, of course, has advocated for that, but it seems like the Dodgers are completely on the same page. He's made, what, 63 career minor league starts, and he's never gone more than six innings in any of them. He's been taken out after no hitters after 77 pitches. It's sort of hard to project exactly how you use a guy like that in the major leagues, especially for a team that is trying to contend and trying to win right now. And there was a lot of talk last month that he would be coming up in the bullpen and Maybe he will go back there soon. So what are the expectations for how you transition a real outlier like this in so many respects to a major league team that's trying to win? Yeah, I would think, I would suspect that he goes into the bullpen after Friday night. Maybe he makes one more start after that because, you know, they got to have a placeholder for Tenjin Ryu, who is going to be up uh, relatively shortly. He's got two starts left on his rehab assignment. Um, and I would think, you know, they keep him in the bullpen pitching, you know, probably if he, if he can handle it, probably in relatively high leverage spots. Um, and then in August or September, you know, if they're kind of making a push, they could transition him back to uh, the rotation and, you know, kind of still preserve the innings while keeping him sort of, you know, fresh, I guess, and keeping him in the majors. Because, you know, I, he doesn't really have anything left in the minor leagues, you know, and so his value, you know, with the way he's dominating the minor league competition, it's pretty clear, you know, he's he's earned a shot to face major league competition, and so you'd like him to maybe learn how to go through a lineup three times, but he's probably going to have to learn how to do that at the big league level anyway, because it's just his talent doesn't permit him 
to develop, um, you know, a little like slower, if that makes sense. Did they put an innings uh, goal on him at the beginning of the year? Were they? Did they do the foolish thing of putting any number on him at all? No, they no, they would not do that. No, I mean, I, they have a number, obviously. But right. Yeah. If, if Steven Strasburg has taught us anything, it's yeah. say the number aloud. So, um, yeah, they, they have a number, but they haven't said what it is. He is a left-handed pitcher, and he has held right-handed batters to a 449 OPS in AAA this year. That's pretty good. Yeah, I would think that's change-up related, right? That's yeah, I, I, I guess so. Is there an expectation that there's a lot of projection left or that he is not a finished product in important ways, or is he just preternaturally polished at this age and... He's ready right now, and he might not get that much better than this, but this is pretty good already. Yeah, I think this is, he's pretty polished. I mean, that's why he's up so quickly, you know, is because, you know, he has an advanced set of skills. I mean, um, you know, the fastball command can always get better. It'll be interesting to see how his off-speed stuff plays, you know, whether big leaguers are able to identify it or whether, you know, it deceives them the way it's done to minor league hitters. So, um, but no, it's not the sort of thing where he's, he's got a lot of, room to grow uh you know there's obviously you know, he, like he's, he's not raw he's certainly not raw there's a lot of polish there how does the dodgers staff stack up right now because there were so many injury problems in spring training and they're getting some of those guys back you mentioned ryu and mccarthy's coming back so are they about to have the full complement of arms that they hope to have coming into the season uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm always with Ryu. He's coming off shoulder surgery, so it's hard to totally bank on him. Brett Anderson's still down for a while, so he's, he's not ready to contribute. And, uh, you know, Brandon McCarthy is still, you know, at, at least, uh, you know, maybe six weeks away, maybe a month away. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're getting there. Uh, Jose De Leon had a, a had shoulder issue, so he's been down for a while. And that's a pretty sizable loss because he's, you know, he and Urias were considered, you know, the two big pitching prospects. And so it doesn't seem like De Leon's going to be able to contribute anytime soon. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they've gotten some good starts out of Alex Wood. He's found something in the last month or so that's really helped. You know, Scott Kazimer's been up and down. Kenta Maeda's definitely regressed. He's kind of become a little reticent about throwing a fastball, which has hurt him. Uh, a decent amount in his past few games. And then, like, Clayton Kershaw's, you know, head and shoulders above everyone else in the sport. So, you know, they're kind of propped up by Kershaw uh, in a lot of ways, but that could change in the next month or so. Ken Rosenthal tweeted earlier today a, a quote that he got from Zach Greinke this spring who described Urias as the most perfect pitching prospect I've ever seen. And Greinke said it was because he's left-handed, because the stuff is plus-plus, and because quote, he's nasty, but not so nasty you think he'll blow out, which is a interesting place that we are in where you kind of get more <laughs> excited about a pitching prospect if he right. doesn't throw 100 because he might actually last for a little while. But how does he stack up to, you know, the flamethrowing phenoms that we get really excited about as a spectator experience? Is he very fun to watch? Is he visually very impressive? Well, I mean, he can get up to 97, you know, which from the left side is, is pretty devastating. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not like a Cinderguard, like video game type pitcher. But then again, you know, I don't think there's really anyone like that. But yeah, I mean, the changeup can really, really fool hitters. And, you know, the curveball definitely plays. So, um, there's a lot of weapons there for him to, you know, to go after hitters, you know, and when he's like a couple times in spring, he pitched, he wasn't particularly 
sharp and you know he got he got hit around a little bit didn't look particularly great but you know scouts who have seen him when he's on say you know he's he's lights out you know he's got he's got the tools he's got the you know the sort of the, the physique you'd want he's like six two, two hundred. 200 you know kind of a not too small not too big you know the, the levers aren't too long that you worry about them you know blowing out and so um, there's a lot to like there for sure and he has a interesting origin story right he came from the same scouting trip in mexico that produced yasiel puig and the Dodgers were able to sign him because there were all of these unsubstantiated false rumors going around about his health that were completely false, and Logan White just ignored those and signed him because yeah, he was really be good. For, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I know he had the, the issue with his eye before he had surgery on that last yeah. year to yeah. have it um, sort of repaired. So, yeah, I mean, there's 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 been some, I guess, technical red flags there, but I'm honestly I'm forgetting the uh, the origin story at this point. I can tell you about Lorenzo Cain though, if you want. <laughs> so I'm curious about the weaknesses of the team because last year's Dodgers led the National League in weighted runs created plus by non-pitchers, and this year's version ranks 11th in that category. This team just hasn't hit. Will it hit, do you think? Potentially. I mean, they've got guys who have hit before. Uh, you know, Adrian Gonzalez will probably bounce back a little bit. He's definitely, um, you know, been off his, his normal production this year. I think he's got, uh, I'm looking at now, he's got a 740 OPS, you know, 106 OPS plus. You know, that's well below kind of what you'd expect from him. You know, uh, Yaziel Puig, I guess, you know, we'll get to him. He's just been a, you know, a real kind of disaster at the plate. Um, really disappointing. Uh, you know, pretty clearly he's been good in the field, but, you know, disappointing at the plate. Yasmani Grandal batting like 190. Um, you know, Corey Seager's been up and down. Justin Turner has been well below what he did the past couple of years. Um, they're getting great seasons out of uh, Jock Peterson and Trace Thompson and Chase Utley. But yeah, I mean, there's there's room to improve there, um, but it's going to have to, you know, come from some of these more established guys. There have been some articles recently about how Puig has been very easy to pitch to and He's been swinging through a ton of stuff on the outside part of the plate and just has been predictable and has had obvious weaknesses that teams have been able to exploit. At the same time now, he's had the sort of occasional trademark mental lapses from time to time. Do you draw any kind of connection between those two things, having watched him? Like, do you blame his overall struggles at the plate on a failure to concentrate or work or any of that, or are those two completely separate issues? I think it might almost be the other way. Like if we're going to kind of psychoanalyze, I'd say the lapses in concentration come from frustration about the lack of production. That's yeah. kind of, you know, the psychoanalysis that's, that's making the rounds, I guess, you know, uh, within the club that, you know, because he's not hitting, he's getting frustrated and, you know, that sort of thing. It, you know, when he's hitting, he's kind of locked in and, um, you know, committed to sort of what's going on. And so, yeah, I mean, it was not a great weekend or Sunday slash uh, whatever it was, Tuesday for him. You know, he didn't have a really good stand where, you know, he made this sort of mental mistake in, uh, you know, in Sunday afternoon in San Diego, where he, for, he just basically didn't advance on a on a bunt by AJ Ellis that would have put him in scoring position for you know a sack fly, and um, you know instead of getting a sack fly in the ninth inning, the Dodgers had to play a 17 inning game and use all their pitchers and you know just burn the entire bullpen to the ground. And then a couple days later, you know he hits a towering drive to right, and he sort of pimps it at the plate, and then you know it goes off the uh, the wall, and Dave Roberts pulled him out of the game after that. You know just basically said that's it's unacceptable, and um, you know it, it puts the manager in a tough spot. It uh, you know it puts you know it basically it puts Dave in a tough spot because he has to 
simultaneously enforce these standards while still defending Puig to the public. And it you know, makes for an awkward sort of dance there. Um, but, you know, that's, that's part of the gig of managing the doctors, you know, is that you have to sort of manage personalities. And Puig has a, has a very, Puig has one that commands a, a decent amount of attention. Dave had to go get him out of the uh, clubhouse, you know, that same Tuesday because he just was not like on the field with the team during batting practice. He took BP and then just walked off. And, uh, you know, Dave had to come and, and get him and bring him back onto the field and then go back to managing everyone else. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the job, but um, it's starting to, you know, creep back into being part of the discussion, you know, just sort of the standard yearly uh, check-in on Puig's attitude or whatever. So, it, look, it doesn't matter particularly. I mean, Orius is coming up. It's going to be fun. Everything that I'm going to ask you next is speculative, and it probably will force you to speculate more than you will actually be interested in doing. But, I mean, the Dodgers right now, they're not getting the offense that they're expected, that they've expected. Their bullpen's been bad. There's some unpleasant storylines, and Urias comes up, and, you know, he he's sort of a, you know, he's necessary because they're losing. And if the offense was scoring, uh, you know, an extra run per game, and if the bullpen had held three extra leads, now that I've laid all that out and, and wandered around, let me just ask you this. It, it, does him coming up, do you think, deviate from what their development plan was for him, or is it is this exactly what their development plan is for him and what they think is best for him and really has nothing to do with um, what's going on in the standings? Well, the hard part is that they won't really say what their developmental plan is for him. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of deliberately vague about, you know, what they were trying to accomplish with him this year, you know, when they wanted him up, you know, like normally like you've got a pitching prospect, you know, like I remember like covering uh, the Mets, like in, I want to say 2012, when Matt Harvey debuted, you know, you talk to people at the beginning of the year and you're like, Hey, like, when do you think we'll be ready? Like, ah, if all goes well, you know, June or July. Like, you don't really hear that about Urias. You know, the Dodgers like, you know, go out of their way to try and not set dates on some of these things. And that makes it tougher to kind of discern, you know, what the plan is, you know, what they're trying to accomplish, what he still needs to fix in the minors, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know if this is too far a deviation from, you know, what they were trying to do. But, you know, look, I mean, this guy is clearly one of the best 25 players in the organization Mm -hmm. right now. And, you know, you're a team that's trying to win right now, and you're trying to also conserve his innings. So, you know, he's not going to pitch 200 innings, so he's not going to pitch a full season in the minor leagues, you know, where he's burning those innings up, you know, facing, you know, whatever, like the, the Memphis Redbirds or whomever. So you might as well have him in the majors. Um, and that may be accelerated slightly because of, you know, what's been going on with the bullpen and how the rotation's kind of been up and down. But I don't think it's necessarily, like, going to hamper his development, especially if they are very committed to not stretching him out excessively this year because he wasn't able to throw a ton of innings last year. So, um, you know, I don't think it's a huge deviation from whatever it was they had planned going into the season. When I did talk to Boris, one of his big things is that he doesn't think that starting pitchers, pitchers generally should be rushed to the majors. He doesn't seem to be that interested in them starting their service time clocks. He would rather see them be developed a little slowly. And he, you know, specifically called out the industry for being a little bit too eager to, uh, to start drawing from these young arms. And so my guess is that he would say that this is not necessarily great for his, for Urias' development, although I didn't ask him specifically. And, uh, so if I were, uh, if I were an LA columnist and I were really, if I, uh, just was running out of ways to write anti-Puig columns, I would probably, uh, wait, wait for Urias to have like a sore shoulder next spring and then write, um, a column blaming Puig for not hitting this year. <laughs> sure. That, like, if it weren't, if, if Puig were, yeah, if Puig were better, then he would have, Urias would have been taking it easy down in AAA and, 
too much was put on. So you, um, you I'll also pass mentioned. I'll I'll let him know what he thinks. <laughs> Thank you. You also mentioned yesterday that uh, Real Big Fish was playing in the clubhouse, and <laughs> now Brian, we're getting to the good stuff. Uh, Brian, Brian. So Brian Kilpatrick tweeted at me that turn the radio off. The album from which that song is is from, and really the album that Real Big Fish is important for, came out the day after Urias was born. And so I'm wondering, based on how you know the um, music is selected, and based on when you think that they knew that they were going to make this move, is there any chance whatsoever that they were uh, they they were sort of speaking in musical code to you? I I will say that the one thing, well, there's many things that have disappointed me after spending so much time covering baseball over the last seven years, but. Probably the biggest disappointment is the utter lack of musical knowledge among the people I cover. So I would say no. I would say no, but if so, I mean, that that would be a great episode of The X-Files or whatever. Well, the lack of musical knowledge, though, seems to be a point in this conspiracy's favor, because you only need one person to know to know enough to uh, to, to program it in. And it, it otherwise seems very unlikely that anybody on the Dodgers, anybody who controls the Dodgers iPod is big on third wave late 90s ska. I, I honestly don't know how it, I think it was like someone had like a, a, a reggae station on Pandora and it just came on accidentally. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I, so I don't think it, it was definitely part of like a curated playlist. So I, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, unfortunately I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> Has Roberts shown himself to be as good a manager of men as Don Mattingly was reputed to be? Has he handled all this stuff as well as anyone could be expected to handle it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's the standard kind of quibbles, you know, that players have about, you know, whatever, about, uh, you know, like the, the, you know, the managerial bullpen moves, you know, some of your guy will grab you like, hey, you know, what do you think we should have done this or, or that last night? But I think that's neither here nor there, really. Certainly not nearly to the amount that I heard it covering, you know, Ned Yost for two years. So uh, that's the funny thing, too, is like people were kind of like sometimes they'll say like, man, like, do you believe what Dave did last night bringing in the righty to to face Molina, and I'm like, dude, I covered the Royals, man. You should see Scott Downs facing Johnny Gomes. Like, you know, like I've seen some stuff bullpen wise. Um, so I think I think he's been fine. Um, you know, I think he I think he definitely earned some cred in the clubhouse by uh, taking Puig out. Uh, he earned cred from the sort of players who uh, want to see hustle. That sort of thing, you know. I don't think it's too hard to go down the roster and figure out who some of those guys might be. But uh, you know, so I think that was probably a good move in his favor. Um, but you know, for the most part, I mean, the team the players seem to like each other. You know, they're they're an okay team. They probably should be better. They maybe will get better. But you know, um, of the issues they have, Roberts is certainly probably not near the top. If I could ask one question about the Julio Urias of over twenty pitchers, Clayton Kershaw, how, how do you write? a game story about Clayton Kershaw now because I was reading your most recent one and you've you've already pulled out the credibly complimentary <laughs> quote right Dave Roberts told you that he wants 25 Clayton Kershaws he's the pitcher of a lifetime he's the baseball player of a generation so you can't really find a more <laughs> hyperbolic quote than that and then there yep. are the quotes about how you know the expectations are so high but he keeps exceeding them and you can't use that over and over so what's your yep. what's your approach for next time he throws a complete game shutout with 10 strikeouts? And you'll wonder why Dylan Hernandez was laughing at me when he read that story cuz he's <laughs> like, "Dude, I've been writing this for 7 years." <laughs> you know. And uh yeah, I mean it's you know, and I've I've gone to the well of like, you know, the lead of no movement in the bullpen, you know, I've gone to the well of like 
the crowd cry, you know, shouting as he co- comes back out for the ninth inning. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm gone to the bag of tricks already <laughs> in the first two months covering Kershaw. So um, it's uh, slightly different covering Jeremy Guthrie, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a challenge, but I think, you know, you just try and put what he's doing and who he is in, in a historical context. And, and, you know, you try and do it. Uh, in the context of the season and what his every fifth day means to this team. I mean, he really is like Atlas, you know, they can't afford to lose when he pitches. He's kind of propping the team up. They're like nine and one when he pitches and sub 500 and, you know, at every other game. So um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how I can fake it for the rest of the year, Um, but we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. I mean, he's been uh, really fun to watch and um, you know, it's, I'm always a fan of quick games. So, you know, that's also greatly appreciated. Yeah. Is there an accepted explanation for why he has reached an even higher level this year? I mean, the level of competition has definitely been a, a little bit lesser the past few weeks. You know, he's had games against like the Reds and the Padres and that sort of thing. So, but, you know, he's he's amazing. I mean, he probably should have won the Cy Young last year, I think. You know, or you could at least make a, a very compelling case that he could have won the Cy Young last year over Jake Arrieta, which is good as Arrieta pitched. You know, he's striking out guys at, you know, at a really obscene rate and he's not walking anyone. You know, he's kind of, he talks about how, you know, he's learned stuff from guys like Dan Heron about like, you know, you just throw the ball over the plate and sometimes, you know, they'll hit it at someone. You, know, you don't you really, don't be afraid to challenge someone, you know, 2-0, especially when your stuff plays well. So, you know, that sort of confidence combined with the fact that he's, you know, throws 94 from the left side with great command and, you know, the, the best curveball in baseball and probably the best slider in baseball. <laughs> and, you know, he's got incredible stuff and he's got incredible determination. You know, he never takes a day off. It's rare to see him taking, you know, a, a 10 minute break before, uh, you know, even before a game on days when he doesn't pitch to the point where Dave Roberts is sometimes uh, wary of even trying to talk to him, like, cause he's afraid he'll be interrupting his routine and pissing him off. So, um, he's just incredibly dedicated to his craft and incredibly talented and incredibly driven. It's, it's a, you know, he really is a generational talent. I'm so disappointed. I had hoped to have a better podcast title. I've been, I've been trying to think of a better podcast title this whole time. It's, it's, <laughs> what have you got so far? I don't. I just don't even have anything I want to share with you. Oh, that's depressing. <laughs> I know. I don't want to. I don't want to go through ten mediocre ones to find one that catches you at the right moment. I wanted. I, I want. When I give you one, I want to give you one. Hmm. Hey, can I ask you guys a question that I've been wondering about? Yeah, sure. Hey, are are you guys like as uh, as nervous about the election as I am? Pretty nervous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do, do you and I? You know, I don't think based on you know Times policy, I'm really allowed to discuss my political leanings, but it probably won't be too hard to discern. Hmm. But do you feel like a sense of like fear that you know in history, 50 years from now? You know, someone will ask you, what were you doing when, you know, this was going on? And you'll say, oh, I was writing about baseball. <laughs> like, do you, feel, do you feel like a sense of that, like, you know, that you're kind of making a mistake with your given profession? You know, did you read the article um, in The New Yorker about two months ago? I think it was Jill Lepore on um, children and social services. It, maybe it was probably three months ago. And okay. reading that uh, made me feel that way. I thought I have to answer for myself. Uh, because, because really there are a lot of extremely important jobs that are not filled by enough qualified people. So, uh, in this case, particularly, I don't know if I feel exactly that way. I have, so far as I know, I've never made a political statement in public because who cares, right? Who, like, really who cares? Like, it's the most self-indulgent thing to be like, well, my opinion is this. And I've 
thought about it in the last few days, uh, which is already, like, I already would like me less if just hearing me say that. <laughs> right. Because, like, the idea that it matters at all. I, I just do, I sort of want to just say what I think about things just so that I can contribute to the normalizing of good behavior and to resist the normalizing of bad behavior. So, I, like, I'm not trying to convince anybody. I just want to sort of make it clear that, like, you know, this is how I feel. And it's, you know, this is, I'm a, I'm a normal person who feels this way. And uh, this is what I think that our, uh, you know, our culture should be about. But, you know, you can't do that. You can't do that. If you do that, you're immediately, you're immediately in doing the same thing that Kurt Schilling is doing, just hopefully a little bit less obnoxiously. <laughs> right. I mean, I've, I've never, I've, I've never voted because I feel like journalists probably shouldn't um, because, you know, if theoretically someday, you know, I start covering politics, I don't want to have a, a record of kind of where my, what my opinions are about things, I guess. And maybe that's stupid because I have voted for like BBWAA awards, but I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, I don't know if I can really, <laughs> there's got to be something I can, I can do here. It's, I don't know. It's just been, that's kind of like all I think about at this point is the election. It's very, uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's very time consuming and, uh, and energy consuming mentally. It's the, uh, it's, yeah, it's the OJ trial of, of our generation. I think I'm obsessed with it slightly bigger consequences but yeah i mean yeah i mean i i listen to this late podcast about one of the candidates daily i read the basically like every major newspaper's coverage every day yeah so if you're wondering why i don't know julio urias's origin story it's <laughs> probably because i've just been studying you know everything else and just being fearful and wondering what's going to happen yeah when we were when we had carson on yesterday i talked about the uh the horror of realizing that you've accidentally clicked on uh the hawk haroldson broadcast of the game that you're going to and having to like immediately backtrack the equivalent for me now is that when i will i might say i'm not admitting this necessarily but i might 50 60 times a day search one of the uh one of the candidates names on twitter and uh, every once in a while i'll accidentally click the uh the live button which means i'm not just seeing the top tweets but all of them <laughs> <laughs> and i just like i just vomit all over <laughs> It's scary, man. It's scary. It's it's really scary. And I feel like uh, as reporters, you know, we're we're not supposed to say what we think and feel. And I and I, you know, you guys know. As, so we almost made it through an entire podcast without talking about Matt Harvey's behavior with the media. But as you guys know, based on my feeling, sort of like the Player Tribune and stuff, like I think the Fourth Estate is really important to be a you know a, an unbiased, um, independent arbiter. But it's just like some of this stuff. I'm just like, oh man, this is this is gonna be a really Rough, rough summer and fall getting through this. Hey, Ben, who are you voting for? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice if we could all just skip two decades to the FX miniseries about this summer instead of actually watching the summer. But it's yeah. tough because uh, I kind of feel that anyone that we would be likely to talk to in most situations would be someone who agrees with us already. And so it's hard not to preach to the choir Except there's a very That's large... That's your own fault for dealing with reasonable people, though. <laughs> yes. Well, there's a very large non-choir out there somewhere, <laughs> but it's, it's hard to it reach via the normal be channels. a bigger choir. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the scary part is the other choir might be bigger. <laughs> right. It is like the entire country might be on the verge of clicking on the, the White Sox away broadcast when there are <laughs> <other> better broadcast <laughs> options available. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad. It, no, it's good to. It, yeah, I know this is kind of a bummer, and I'm sure there'll be cranks on the Facebook page complaining or whatever. But I just, I don't. Know. I was just curious because uh, you know you guys are both smart and seem like you're you know interested in more than baseball, and it's just kind of you know it's a really uh, historic time, and I'm kind of wondering you know why I'm spending time writing about you know like tricep injuries, but yeah. <laughs> but that's I guess neither here nor there. Well, well I did a I, podcast about video games yesterday, so I'm doing my part. <laughs> Andy, are you saying are you saying that you would are you saying you would have more impact if you were writing about politics? Because I don't get the feeling that writing about politics does a whole lot either. Or, or are you saying that you should be doing something like to contribute to the world? Yeah, that that I don't know. That I don't know. I just I just worry that if the election goes a certain way, that I will look up many many years down the road and just be like, oh crap, like you know, like I did not. I, you know, maybe there was something I could have done or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And maybe it's not even, a, you know, and that's obviously a pretty outrageous statement to make, you know, in terms of like my own impact. But it's just, I don't know. That's just what I think about because I, it's what I think about because, uh, you know, I have an inflated sense of self. I'm sort of glad that you forced me to admit that I also am obsessed with this sort of tabloid show because I have, it has been something I've mostly kept secret. And it feels somewhat honest to admit that I actually have this incredibly frivolous interest in this incredibly serious thing and that I indulge it to a somewhat shameful degree. So yeah. most uh, of the time, I think it's sort of a competitive advantage not to pay too much attention to politics because everyone else yeah. is and they're spending hours on it and almost everyone has zero impact on the outcome and zero impact on you know anyone else's beliefs or preferences and so in most cases i figure that by ignoring it i save myself a lot of time and trouble and heartache in most cases also i think there isn't so much of a difference between the candidates that I get worked up about it one way or another. This might be the the exception, but as we've uh, as we've discussed on this <laughs> podcast before, the worst thing you can do if you're trying to persuade someone of something is to state the opposing belief outright, right? And so, yeah. in a sense, we are doing the best we can by not trying to convince <laughs> anyone of anything. Plus, I'm generally an optimist who believes that things are, on the whole, getting better over time and that many of the current crises mirror past precedents that we survived and surmounted. So I try to spend my spare time reading astronomy blogs and learning about things that happened on scales so vast enough eons ago that they make any present problems seem fleeting and inconsequential. Plus, aren't sports supposed to be the refuge in times of turmoil? That's why we kept baseball going during world wars. A couple weeks ago, I was speaking at an event that Nate Silver was also speaking at, and he made a firm no-politics resolution, and he actually read from a piece he had written about whether Alex Gordon should have tried to score in the 2014 World Series. So, can't we pretend that all is well? Must we politicize the podcast? Yeah, yeah. Whistling past the graveyard. I'm excited. <laughs> all right. So, Julio Urias. <laughs> I would vote, I'd vote for Urias, but he's yeah, 15 he's years away from being eligible. He can vote. He just can't be the president. Yeah, right. Well. He's not from this country, but other than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, are you saying he shouldn't be able to pitch then? Are you saying they should build a wall? <laughs> build a wall to, to keep all the minor leaguers out. Yeah, I'm sure many uh, veteran major leaguers would subscribe to a wall that would prevent minor league pitchers from God. being promoted to the majors. Uh, it sounds like a joke. <laughs> sounds like a thing that was said as a joke. <laughs> All right. So where can people find your podcast and how much political discussion will there be? 
There will be none. <laughs> there will be none. And I'm actually nervous about my employers hearing this failed uh, discussion. But uh, yeah, you can find it at latimes.com slash sports. It's called the Los Angeles Times Baseball Podcast. The best way to find it, honestly, is um, to subscribe on iTunes. I think we're on iTunes. Yeah. And we'll have more episodes coming you know, in the coming weeks. It's myself and Pedro Mora, our Angels writer. And we're going to talk about the Dodgers and the Angels and, you know, we'll insult each other. And Pedro will take what I say seriously because, you know, his sense of sarcasm is a little off and it'll be good it'll you know it'll be good and um you can follow both of us on twitter you know i'm at mccullough times i think pete is uh at pedro mora m-o-u-r-a it'd be great if you listen can i i have a t- i have a suggested title for you okay all right are you are you at all a soul coughing fan <laughs> Not really. Okay. Well, Soul Coughing has this. They've got some really great songs, but they've got one song that is just you know transcendently good. And uh, so that's the inspiration. For that. I think you should call it Sports Writers Blues. So that is a reference to the Soul Coughing song Screenwriters Blues, and okay. uh, it has a lot of benefits to it. One is blue is in the title, right? <laughs> and I was tr- I was trying to get blue in the title. The other is that the song is really this almost sort of, I don't know, it's all about L.A. and it's also all about the voice on the radio in L.A. and But in a kind of a twisted sort of Mulholland Drive kind of uh, tone. And uh, so it, it really, I think, captures everything you'd be looking for. And it's a, a great, 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 great song. All right. Works for me. Check it out. <laughs> Sounds great. And not copyrighted. So far as I can tell, Sports Writers Blues is uh, all yours. I, I will take it up with Pedro and see what he says. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy, as always. Anytime, guys. Have a good one. All right. So that is it for today. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Today's five Patreon supporters to single out are Kevin Smith, Grant Friday, Derek Wilson, John Marsh, and Adam Vanderyat. You can buy our book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work, our wild experiment building a new kind of baseball team. Pretty sure it's politics-free. Go to our website, theonlyruleisithastowork.com, to find reviews and excerpts and interviews. And if you have finished the book, to explore the second screen experience, the photos and videos and stats that we have uploaded to the site. If you feel like it, leave us a review on Amazon and or Goodreads. It helps us out. Tell a friend. Buy a copy for Father's Day. We appreciate the word of mouth. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and you can rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription to the Play Index by going to baseballreference.com and using the coupon code BP. You can email us at podcast at baseballperspectus.com or by messaging us through Patreon. That brings this week's podcasting to a close. We hope that you do have a wonderful weekend and we will talk to you again on Monday. Ain't no stopping the champagne from popping the drawers from dropping the law from watching. I hate them. Politics is usual. So we did that. Yep. Now I, I have <laughs> just, I have so much regret in my heart right now. <laughs> <laughs>